Heidi McDonald, New York Comic Con 2022. That's right. I'm here. I am in the Storm King Comics booth with Sandy King Carpenter. Sandy, how's it going? It's going great. I mean, the fans are out like they've never been gone. Uh, we're set up and it feels like, you know, sense memory is kicked in. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to be here. Yeah. Now, now, Sandy, we have talked to you on the podcast before over the years. Uh, this is uh, one of the funnest booths to stop at. You you always have something spooky going on here. Uh, but Storm King will be celebrating its 10th anniversary next year. Is that right? Yes, it will. Uh, just ahead of San Diego, we turn 10 years old, so we're planning a celebration bash down in San Diego. Uh, we survived, much against the odds and much against everyone's expectations. Well, that's what I really wanted to talk to you about. I saw you in San Diego, and you had a beautiful new booth. One of the, the uh, that was actually your first time ever at San Diego, right? Or setting no. up? No. Oh, okay, so you have. No, been there. we've been there for years, but we were usually hidden in a small ten by ten uh, behind cosplayers and furries. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you had a beautiful booth there, beautiful position, and really, really could show things off. But, you know, I don't think, I think the first time I talked to you, you did talk about, you know, coming here, two comics, you know, out of the film industry, and, you know, being here to, to, to make comics and tell some stories, you know, try, kind of trying a new means of expression for you. And now you're a veteran. You're going to be celebrating your 10 years and, you know, what have you learned in those 10 years about running a comic book company? Survival. Um, what I found was, first, I had to show the comics industry I came in peace, that we weren't just a celebrity uh, vanity comic. And um, I had to woo the good creators to my company and show them that it was uh, uh, good paper, uh, that I respected them, that we were telling great stories, and that um, I operated differently from other publishers. Uh, the writers retain their IP. The, um, the artists are work for hire, but they get paid their rates. Um, so I do business more like a, a movie producer, and uh, everybody gets their paychecks the way they, they turn in their vouchers, and I think that won over everybody. Uh, you know, the biggest thing I had to learn was that uh, lead times, and those have gotten longer with uh, the business. Everything has longer deadlines, longer lead times for solicits, those kinds of things. So it's really just a matter of learning the personalities and keeping everybody happy, which I actually care about. Mm-hmm. Well, personalities, uh, it's, I, I like that you say that because I always say being an editor is probably about 50% being a psychologist and, you know, 30% project manager and the other 20% is like story editing. Um, I think you're absolutely right on with it. And, and I like team building. Mm. I like everybody uh, from the get-go to be in touch with each other, to talk to each other. I like the writers and artists to be in sync, and if they're not, no harm, no foul, we, we reconfigure. Uh, so I do run things a little different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you're still here. And I, I, I'm also glad that you were frank about that. I mean, people do look at you coming in here as 
you know, a celebrity-driven comics company, which there have been lots of, oh, yeah. and they don't last 10 years, let me tell you. I mean, you have to be in this to, you have to, you have to love this business to stay in it. Uh, and, and, but comics are a lovable place. They are, and for us it is just another storytelling platform. And you want to do, when we decided to make a comic book, uh, we spent two years researching the business and the art of comic books. Just be, it's like people that think they can make movies because they've seen a lot of them. <laughs> Just because we've read a lot of comics our whole lives didn't mean we knew how to make comics. And I don't think you can come in with that conceit that just because you're a screenwriter, you're a comic writer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so it was a valuable two-year two uh, two period. And I'm really grateful to people like Steve Niles and Bruce Jones and Tim Bradstreet and the guys who really uh, led us in baby steps through that artistic and creative process. And then uh, hitting the wall before delivering a comic and realizing I didn't know how to deliver the elements. Um, and just going, whoa, okay, now what? Now I've got a comic. Uh, <laughs> now the fun begins. Now I don't know shit. Um, <laughs> i got to figure this out. Um, so, you know, there's various learning curves. And then as, uh, you know, the uh, printing process has changed over the years. And the printing houses have changed. And the availability of paper has changed. So, uh, you know, I think it's like anything in the entertainment business. You learn and roll with the punches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's, it, it is, I, I mean, the, I'm a lifer as you, you, you know, and I've been in this business for, you know, practically my whole life. And I, I just, I'm, I'm so inspired just by the creativity. And, you know, the people you just named, like Steve and Tim and, you know, Bruce Jones. Oh, my God. Wow. Bruce is such an incredible career going back. And uh, But, yeah, just hanging out with that, this love. The level of creativity is so unfettered in comics. You know, it isn't held back by, oh, we can't afford to buy a crowd. Well, that's the best thing. I don't have to care if someone just wrote a scene that demolishes the earth. <laughs> you know, it costs the same as two people talking in a room. I'm, I'm okay. And I think that's the kind of world building problems. I can say okay to wild stuff. And, you know, I haven't killed anyone's child and haven't bankrupted a company except myself. <laughs> so it's okay. Well, you know, let me ask you that. Uh, Comics and graphic novels soared, reading soared during the pandemic. People were looking for any kind of escapism, anything to do. Um, and, you know, how, how did you fare during the pandemic years? Well, the interesting thing was we were getting pirated like crazy online. Our digital uh, stuff went through the floor because we were pirated straight out of Comicsology. And so we have changed that. Uh, we changed, we're, we're now with Global Comics, which is more like a Spotify model where we've got you know, sort of paywalls and things. I think that's the future there because you're going to get ripped, but if you can uh, have value added to not ripping off the product, uh, learn from the recording industry and maybe we can make that a, a better model for uh, comics. Um, our, our fan base was really loyal. And ironically, our print runs stayed the same. And when necessary, we hand-delivered to local comic shops and uh, tried to keep them going and gave backdoor deliveries and did what we could. 
um, because Diamond pulled a fast one and decided uh, not to deliver and uh, not to pay publishers. So that was special. Um, basically, the comics industry was trying to be, uh, had outside forces trying to strangle. Um, and that, again, was a special event. But we survived. Um, against all odds and I think that one of the things that showed us was that if we delivered quality product and we dignified our fans by caring about it and by fighting for paper and fighting for embossing and doing all the things and showing good stories they stuck with us yeah yeah that's true I mean it's all about community now um it's October 7th. Yeah, October 7th. Um, Halloween is around the corner. Obviously, Storm King is a horror publisher. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, that that's where our, our roots are, is horror and science fiction. And, uh, and we do have our Storm Kids line. And we try not to terrify small children. But we have things for, you know, 4 to 8-year-olds, 8 to 12-year-olds, and young adults. But the little kids' stuff is designed to let those kids have fun at Halloween with the other kids. Right. But it's ghost bunnies and uh, things that just let them in on the party. Well, I mean, horror is loved by all all ages, right. you know, and expresses itself. But I'll tell you, I'm sure you're a big Halloween fan, as I am, of oh, the yeah. holiday, of course. And... I just feel like this Halloween is going to be off the charts. Don't you feel like this pent-up longing for Halloween out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will guarantee to you that there are so many people that had their Halloween costumes made last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're dying for their kids to love it as much as they do. Yeah. But, I mean, adults. I mean, adult kids. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. I think, I think that they've got it going on, and they want to release that pent-up tension. Yeah. And uh, release the demons. Yeah, it's yeah. It's going to be demon night. Oh yeah, I just it's it's I, I can just tell here in New York it's going to be really everybody's going to go all out. But you see that here too. I mean, there's so many. I don't know if you've had a chance to walk the floor, but no. oh well, let me tell you, if you go like you know Bandai and Viz and every, I mean they have the One Piece ship and like you know Dragon Ball Z and like everybody's the same. Everybody's just like dying to get out there and strut their stuff after being at home for two years. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all right, what are we, what is on tap for the tenth anniversary? What what do we you know why probably uh, you know can you reveal any of the plans or if I knew them I would. <laughs> I'd spill my guts in a heartbeat. Um, we've. Uh, We've got a new media relations company working for us. We we are now doing that long-range planning where we went. You know, she looked at me and said, so what are we going to do? Yeah, girl. Oh, yeah. I've been looking at, you know, we always just try and live through October in our house. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you check with me and I, you will be the first to know <laughs> okay. that we're going to tear it up yeah. in so, San Diego. Well, so what are some of the books that are out right now that you right want to plug? Right now, the, the two newest books that just came in this week are uh, Civilians by Dwayne Swarzynski and, um, and Don't Blow This, um, uh, Road. I am such a jerk. It's yeah. Coffin Road by Alec Worley. Mm-hmm. 
both really good. So it's one horror book and one sci-fi book, brand new for, we always time it for newer Comic-Con. Right. And we've got like three other things coming out before the end of the year. Right. How many books do you publish a month? I try not to think of it that way. Um, we have five for this fall. Okay. Right. And you do it seasonally. We do it seasonally. We try and make it so that each of the major cons, we've got something special coming out for that audience. Uh, oh, and we have Halloween Nights 8, um, the anthology. It came out just in time and got shipped for uh, New York. Well, there you go. Well, uh, special here, Halloween. Uh, listeners, I'm sure you're all ready to get the spirit of the holiday, just like me and Sandy. Um, Sandy, thank you so much for taking time, as always. And Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. It's so good to see you. Yeah, and, you know, keep on. Uh, there will be more scares to come. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter, and co-host of More to Come, uh, PW's uh, uh, weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. Check us out online at publisherswiki.com slash comics. All right, we're back on the floor of New York Comic Con, the belly of the pop culture beast. Ah, but, you know, I'm the beast, but I'm talking with the beauty. We're talking with Sophia Warren, the author of Radical My Year with us. With a, with a socialist senator, am I mangling the title? No. Um, uh, Sophia, thank you so much for being on More to Come again. Thank you for having me, Calvin. Um, uh, well, for, for those uh, you, of you just tuning in, I have a really long and, and I think really enjoyable interview with Sophia back near the pub date of the book, which I can't remember exactly when it first came out. Yeah, it came out in June. came out in June. So, you know, go to the archive. But here we are at New York Comic Con. Uh, you've been, I assume you've been on the road. Uh, I've seen you in one festival, certainly, at the Brooklyn Book Festival. So, um, but, but before we start, tell us a little bit, just our listeners know a little bit about Radical and what it is. Yeah, so the book is called Radical, My Year with a Socialist Senator. And it is a nonfiction graphic memoir. And it's about the year that I spent with Julia Salazar, who is... A state senator in New York. This was her first year, the year that I followed her around 2019, and she came in as a democratic socialist. She was the only one in the legislature at the time, uh, had run on a really robust campaign of tenants' rights, um, came in with a really big mandate to get legislation passed in that arena. So it was a really exciting year for tenants' rights in general in New York. There's a huge amount of organizing, so the book has that kind of as the centerpiece. But it's mostly about this team of people in Julia's office, my experience getting to know them, seeing behind the scenes about how it actually works to be a government office. So that's the pitch. Yeah, yeah. And, and while uh, Julia Salazar was a key figure, it really was about you really walking or walking alongside a team effort at progressive politics uh, and that were organizing across a broad frame of issues about her tenants' rights, really a whole progressive agenda. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm very much in the book, feeling my feelings and, and yes, thinking about You are it. a character in the book <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, book's been out. I assume you've been promoting it. What's What's it been like? What's the last uh, six months or four or five months been like? It's been cool. 
cool. I mean, it's weird. It's weird to have a book out. I've been thinking about it for three years, and it's been living in my head. So I'm I'm really happy with the conversations I get to have, like this one. And, yeah. <laughs> um, it's been fun to move around with the books. So we were at Small Press Expo and San Diego Comic Con and. Oh, oh great. See, I didn't even go to San Diego, but good, good. <laughs> yeah, that's how. I, that's why I'm so yeah. calm now because I know what Comic Con is like in general. Um, so yeah, it's been it's yeah, been yeah. it's been nice. It's good to like meet other. Uh, one of the one things that I really love about doing this is meeting other comics creators, people who are doing nonfiction, especially. It's nice to just like talk shop mm-hmm. <laughs> about that. Well, I actually got a chance uh, at the Strand, uh, the great bookstore here in New York, to see you and Julia Salazar uh, talking together. So what was that about? Have you done that again? Um, we haven't done anything to that scale. So the book launch was at the Strand, and Julia mm-hmm. was really great about coming and doing a talk with me there. Um, and that was fun for me because we get to just kind of like talk about the experience we had from different angles. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had never made a book. She had yeah. never been the subject of a book. So we yeah. had a lot of ground to cover. Um, I did do like a political education meeting with her through her office uh-huh. a little while ago, which was great. It was in the district and we got to talk to people about politics, and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. from the ground. Um, would love to do more stuff. It's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy that the office is, is on board with the book. So I hope we'll do some more. So, um, well, we're gonna, I'm going to go away from Radical just for a second because uh, on, in addition to uh, being a book author, you're a New Yorker cartoonist. Uh, that's a sort of a highlight in a comics artist's career as well. Uh, what's that like? I mean, it's funny. Back in the day, I actually did a bunch of stories about the New Yorker, but uh, when uh, under the old editor, uh, Robert, uh, what's his name? His name is escaping me at the Minkoff. moment. Bob Minkoff. Yeah, Bob Minkoff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, that's the old regime. Uh, there's been a new one in place for quite a while now. What's it like? What What's it like being a New Yorker cartoonist? Thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I've been there for now five years doing cartoons. I just kind of registered that recently. Okay. Um, so I have, I guess, some you know, work to reflect on. Um, it's been cool. That's another, like, the best part of that job for me, too, is the people in it. I get to talk to other mm-hmm. weird cartoonists and share our neuroses and swap ideas and um, all of that has been, like, has totally changed my life. It's now, like, a big part of my social life. And, uh, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just, we kind of get along with each other, you uh-huh. know? We're both doing, we're all doing this very, like, weird niche mm-hmm. Thing, gag cartoons. Um, Because isn't it pretty tough to get a (laughs) get a cartoon (laughs) in the New Yorker? Um, Yeah, so you guys are like fighting tooth and nail, but uh, and you go out and have a beer. Yeah, it's kind of a weird. So my brother is a poet, actually, and it kind of feels similar to me, where it's like it's so niche and small the world that we're working in that even though you're all competing for kind of the same small piece of pie yes. you can't help but be friends with each other because yeah. who else understands you, you yes know? this is true this is true um, so yeah I mean one of the things I love about doing the cartoons though it just uh, the work of it is that I do think it it really helps just if, to have the exercise of having to generate ideas mm-hmm. every week and yeah. because they're relatively small, it's one cartoon, one panel, um, you can't really be precious about them. Mm. So for me, it was just like getting used to that workflow and getting comfortable with 
coming up with an idea and like trusting that there would be more. Uh-huh. I don't think I would have been able to do bigger projects of not having that in the background of it. So do you, uh, I mean, I've read accounts of what the cartoons have to do in the past. Yeah. I'm curious if it's similar. I mean, you, you know, you show up in an office and you submit cartoons and I guess they go through them and, you know, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, is that pretty much the same way or, or, or what? Well, I wish we still had the office component. Ah. Uh-huh. But now it's all email. Uh, I see. Um, I did, uh, so a pandemic uh, transition, no doubt. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, there was email before. You could always yeah. send them in by email, but now there's no office component. Um, but, yeah, you put together a batch of cartoons, so a number of them, anywhere from, like, 5 to 10, is pretty uh-huh. regular. And then, uh, from my experience, you send it in on a Tuesday, you wait until Friday, and then you either get an email that says okay, which means you sold one, or more likely you don't get an email. Okay, okay. Um, and then you, so if you don't get the email, then you, you know then it. you're desperately waiting by your computer, yeah. <laughs> refreshing refresh, your refresh. inbox, you know, checking the universe to see if maybe there was a glitch in the system. Um, but yeah, it's a, you send in a batch, and I, sometimes you get some, some feedback back, which is always really nice, whether or not you sold. And yeah. you sell, you get to rework the composition and send in a finish pretty soon after. So yes, now is there a lot of editing involved? Do you do they want you to change the drawing? Do they not like the caption? Do yeah. they want to completely substitute your caption? That hasn't happened to me yet. Although sometimes, I mean, it, when there was more of a back and forth when we went into the office, you would get kind of more granular feedback that way. Um, and that's something that sometimes people can kind of ask for now. But um, for the most part, it's really just like yes or no. Yeah. But Sometimes, you know, I might be looking back at my work and realize that I could tweak a caption and, and make it a little more fine-tuned or work from the same kind of general premise but get somewhere yeah. different with it. That definitely happens, the sort of iteration process. Do, do they expect a certain kind of cartoon from you? I mean, I guess the New Yorker cartoon is a certain kind of cartoon. Yeah. But, I mean, in a... In now, well, you weren't always considered a political cartoonist, I guess, yeah. so... Uh, I, yeah, it feels pretty distinct for me, like, the, the book. It, just because it's, like, such a different form, it, it doesn't really overlap in my brain all that much with the New Yorker work. Um, well, sometimes yeah. I pitch political stuff, but it's it's really, yeah. uh, like, particularly overt or, like, political in yeah. the sense of an actual political cartoon, where it's, like... Donald Trump labeled or whatever. Yes. Um, I don't really, I don't really want to do that. I don't um, blame you. Yeah. Not, not my forte. Some people do it. That's okay. Masterfully, I'm just not one of them. Um, I think it's. I don't know if I. You yeah. have to ask someone else if there's like a through line for what kind yeah, of cartoons. Yeah. It's kind of hard well, to see it on my own. <laughs> well, I mean, rather following up on that, I mean, and I guess we talked about this in our longer interview, but. I, I still think it, this is your first, Radical is your first long form book. Yeah. And of course you do single panel cartoons. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you transition from, you know, ironic single panel caption cartoons yeah. uh, to, you know, 200, 300 pages that have transitions, that you have to build, you know, very narrative arcs, that, I mean, yeah. all the stuff you don't do in the rest of the work you do. Yeah. It was, it was a 
as far as philosophies go, mine was like a sink or swim philosophy. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you say you're going to do it, especially if you get some sort of deadline, then you'll have to do it and you'll figure it out. So that was kind of the goal. I was like, well, if I can get an agent or an editor or someone behind me, then I'll like just have no choice but to figure out how to make it work. <laughs> that's, that's basically one way to go. What I, yes, I, it was all, I'm just tricking people the whole time. Um, I don't know. I think a lot. I read a lot. You yeah. know, I read like. Did you, did you take a course or, or you know pick up a you know graphic novels for dummies or I mean, what? No, when I was like first looking at, I hadn't really read graphic novels until I was like 22. I would say <laughs> late bloomer. Uh, yeah, late bloomer. <laughs> but then I was like, I'm gonna get really good at this. So I used to just like sit in the library and like, ah. copy Will Eisner panel by oh, there panel. You go. That's, so that, that definitely helps. That's postgraduate like, work right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you. Right, you rewrite the Great Gatsby just word for word. <laughs> yes, right? yes, that's, yes. that's how you learn Something's how to do it. Gotta sink in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was kind of it, and then it was just sort of trial and error. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so you put together. I think I've described it as an amazing kind of how-to about progressive grassroots organizing. What's next? Um, uh, I mean, do you like, okay, I've done that, and you move to a different topic, uh, another long-form work about some other work that you can do a granular breakdown of, or what, yeah. more politics? Or is it too soon to be asking you this? You know, it really did take a while after coming out with the book. I think my brain just, like, needed a sec. Well, for sure. I <laughs> <Yeah>. mean, because <laughs> um, this is very methodical. I mean... Kudos to you for keeping it lively and fun. But this is like, this is not a, it's a, it's a very granular look at New York state politics. Thank you. Yeah, it felt it felt like a lot of kind of balls to juggle. And so I'm, I'm really proud of the book. I think it, it does yeah. what I wanted it to do, and, and I'm happy with it. Um, but, yeah, I think I just, like, needed to do You need a break. <laughs> I was, like, doing a lot of painting and writing just, like, prose. I was able to go back to my advice column for a minute, which now I... Yes, that's right. We have to talk about... Here, yes, you're a substack life. My substack life. <laughs> um, I'm just now starting to, like, pitch new comics projects that I'm getting excited about. So one of them is, is fiction, and I'm collaborating with a friend oh. on it, which oh, okay. I won't so, say too much more at the okay. moment. Okay, understandable. Um, and, and we'll see about the rest. I definitely want to keep doing nonfiction work. Um, I do think working with... Another writer is definitely where that's my like sweet spot. I would love to do that. Haven't quite figured it out in the nonfiction space, but kind of looking for that yeah. space. Instead of you doing it all yourself. I think so. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I think maybe so. yeah, maybe a collaborator. That's right. Yeah. This is an open call. Okay, yeah, I will we'll, I'll forward you any replies I get about it. Um and how has been your how has your experience been here at New York Comic Con? You said you went to San Diego, so yeah. that's a pretty good preview for what you're going to experience here yeah it's been fun so far i haven't done as much as much sketching as i would like to do there's just a lot to look at here yeah that's it's it's kind of a yeah uh perceptual overload to oh, hear yeah. every score every minute you're here i know i need blinders like yeah. a horse so i don't get too overwhelmed yeah. um but I'm no. It's lovely to be able to just like pop in for the day and then leave. That's a really that's like the perfect way to experience it. Experience yeah. it because I get to like take a break when I yeah. need it. Well, it's funny. I did another interview here on Friday, and you know I so, I like to do the interviews on the floor because the, the buzz behind you know the whole you are there with Calvin you know. At, 
but it was the roar in here. It was so crazy. I would, you know, I was just hoping that anyone would be able to hear us uh, on the tape. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's not too bad, but this is a little better today. Yeah, it's been pretty yeah. quiet, but like earth-shaking stuff has calmed down for a minute. Yeah, yeah. But there's still a lot of people on the floor, and this is the last end. But there you go. We've got some noise here. <laughs> anyway. Look, Sophia, uh, once again, you've done a, a great book. It's a great look at contemporary politics. Uh, if, if you're cynical about politics, uh, this is not the book for you. It is the book for <laughs> well, you. Well, maybe, because maybe it'll change you. Because believe me, I, the, the staff, uh, Salazar herself is incredibly refreshing. The staff, you investigate their problems, their lives. Uh, they're very open. Uh, we know, we learn about you too. So congrats. I too was once cynical. Yes, there you go. So uh, look, thank you so much for being on More to Come again, and good luck with all the book. Thank you so much, Calvin. Okay, we're back on the floor of New York Comic Con, the belly of the pop culture beast. Now we're in Artist Alley. It's overflowing. It seems bigger than normal to me. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to ask one of the exhibitors right here because we're lucky enough to be talking with Alex Segura. Uh, a comics writer. Uh, he's also a comics publishing executive. Um, uh, Alex, thank you so much for being oh, on Board of Com. Calvin. It's always good to see you. Yeah, I mean, it's we're back in action. New York Comic Con is in full swing. It's a Sunday. It looks crazy packed. It's packed. It's yeah. packed. And this is the last day. In fact, the floor closes, I think, in a half an hour. Yeah, in half an hour, tw you know, 20 yeah. minutes or so. And, you know, sales have been brisk. I think it's been great to see everybody in action. And, uh, I don't know, it, it's nice to just have everyone back. So what, 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 yeah, what's here at your table? I mean, your, all your skills seem to be on display. You're, you're at, I left out Zest World yeah. in your, you're, you're also, uh, breaking ground in a yeah. whole new business model for it's publishing. True. Yeah, Zest World is a great creator platform. We launched a series called The Awakened, uh, which is a digital first debut there. They, they basically provide you with the tools to kind of promote your work, which has been fantastic. The big thing for me is Secret Identity, which is my noir yes. crime novel set in the comic book industry of 1975. It actually has comic book sequences in the novel that yes. you kind of read yeah. as you go. And uh, I have a teaser copy of my next book, which is a Spider-Man 2099 yeah. Aranya novel. And by the way, if you go to publishersweekly.com slash comics, there's an interview with him there about this very topic, yeah. uh, his new novel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Secret Identity. Um and so what else what else should we know about here? I mean, uh now you formerly worked at Archie yep. and you did some writing for Archie as well. Yeah, yeah, um, I did some stuff for Archie. It's good we've got some stuff there on display. Also the mysterious microphase, which was a comic we did in partnership with NPR's Planet Money podcast. They were doing oh, Yes, yes, which I just bought a copy yeah, yeah, of. Yeah, they were yeah. doing a series <laughs> of shows on how to make a comic book. They interviewed me yeah. and then the host was like, Well now we actually have to make a comic. I said, well, I can help you, and they brought me in to write it. We had Jerry Ordway redesign the character. Jamal Eichel did the interiors, and it's become this thing on its own. It's been fascinating. Well, it was pretty amazing that they came to the right person because it really did take you methodically yeah. through the process, you know, including, you know, um, you know, getting rights yeah, or getting not right, getting yeah, them, as yeah. the case may be. Yeah, I basically told them no one's going to sell you a comic book character. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're one good story away from a billion-dollar yeah. empire, so... And I've got stuff happening with yeah. Marvel and DC and, you know, keep them busy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Alex, it's been great. Well, we've been talking about comics and, and uh, for quite a few years now, and we'll be doing it for a few more, yeah. I hope. Yeah. Always a pleasure seeing you, Kevin. All right. Great to see you, Alex. Thanks, and good man. luck. And great to see you at New York Comic Con. Yeah, it's good to Hi, it's Heidi McDonald back at New York Comic Con 2022. I'm here at the Nacelle Company and Brian Volkweiss. 
Uh, you are the founder or the, the CEO, the, what are you, Brian? I'm uh, the uh, founder and the CEO. Uh, founder is 100% valid. Uh, CEO, uh, to me, that's sort of a joke. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm running it. Okay, all right. I, and uh, now the Nassau Company is a production company that's behind the toys that made us, the movies that made us, some of these documentary series that we love watching that really have gotten into the nerd stuff. And, you know, the toys that made us... All my staff loved that show so much, it's and we're talking hear. about it for weeks. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Yeah, and uh, so you, obviously you've been digging into pop culture, getting into the history of pop culture. Uh, now you just did a show about The Simpsons, right? That yes. just debuted. What was what was that? That was so. It's season two of a show we do called Icons on Earth for uh, Vice TV. Uh, the first episode aired last week. Second, or sorry, this week, two days ago. Um, we actually just got picked up yesterday for season three, mm-hmm. so that's how good the that's premiere was, I guess. Nice. Um, so um, it's a really deep dive, six episodes into The Simpsons and how it came to be and it, our theories as to why it's so popular. Wow, okay. And you could do six episodes about The Simpsons. Uh, we could have done uh, probably <laughs> 13 episodes. <laughs> well, it has it's actually... It was very hard to do it in only six. It's, it has run for uh, 30 years, so there's a lot 36 of... 36 years. 36, that's yeah, insane. including Tracy Ullman, 36 years. So, you know, funny story that I don't get to tell nearly enough, but boy, this is a golden chance to do it, well, is that I was friends with Matt Groening before he did The Simpsons. Wow. When he, so, yes, I'm old, and I also knew Matt when he was just doing... He was famous for doing... Life and Hell, his comic book. Sure. So we met back in Los Angeles when I sure. lived there. And uh, in fact, I love saying that I once ran into Matt Groening on the bus. We were both taking the bus that day and said, and talked. And, now, and you know, if you live in LA, being on the bus is not something you want to do. No, and it's funny. I'm from New York. I took the bus twice a day uh, from about eight years old to 18 years old. Uh, never thought twice about it. Uh, there's something different in LA with the buses. <laughs> that is a, uh, that is yeah. not apples to apples. No, no. But anyway, of course, Matt does not take. I think he owns bus. all the buses. Yes, now. he probably does. But but it is interesting that uh, when he created the Simpsons, I mean, the, you know, the famous story. Now, this is a story we hear, and I bet you that you researched this. Uh, was that he was in waiting to go into the meeting with Fox and came up with the Simpsons on the spot. Yeah, that is, um, is, again, I wasn't there, mm-hmm. so you always have to preface right. answers to those questions with that statement, but that that apparently is exactly what happened. It's a little more nuanced. He had another idea mm-hmm. that he was going to pitch, and uh, at the last minute, and we heard two different versions. We heard one version, it was he realized it wasn't the right idea. The other thing we heard was someone he was with was like, hey, what's your idea? And he told the idea, and the guy he was with was like, they'll never do that in a hundred years. And literally said that as the secretary said, come on in. And then he literally just pitched, and you know, it's based on his family. Yes. So he yes. just basically pitched his family, but as cartoons. Wow. I mean, it is, it is, it is wild. And I mean, you, you know, Matt was, uh, I mean, Life in Hell was very popular in L.A. at the yeah. time. It was beloved. I mean, it was quoted, as I always say, it was up on every refrigerator of every hipster in L.A. had a Life in Hell cartoon clipped to their wall. Uh, and, you know, when we found out that Matt, sh- sh- you know, was going to be in the Tracy Ullman show, 
I remember we were all so excited for him. And like, you know, I called and left a message on his answering machine and said, well, Matt, well, you know, congrats, we're all happy. Anyway, uh, why do you think it became a 30, I mean, you know, part of our culture that's so deep? I mean, you know, the Flintstones only ran for what, four years? I mean, if that, right? And we still say yabba dabba do, but the Simpsons. We do. We do say yabba dabba do. I mean, it's, listen, I, I, why are Porsches still being made? Why are Lamborghinis still yeah. being made? They're being made because they're great. Yeah. The Simpsons, we can compare it to Flintstones. Why not? You brought it up. Like, Simpsons, their writing staff was probably half the size and a, a 10% of the quality of the writers for The Simpsons. And the reason The Simpsons got the treatment they did was because James L. Brooks on the feature side of Fox right. was so important that whatever he asked for, he got. Right. So had he not been involved, there's no way the show got on the air, ever. But let's say for some reason the show did get on the air without him, I think the budget would have been a quarter of right. what it was. Right. And that money, that budget, allowed them to get the best of the best and enough Normally, you get an A-plus showrunner and a bunch of A-minus to C-plus writers. That's what makes the show. With The Simpsons, everybody was A-plus. Right. Everybody was at the top of their game, and they gave them, within reason, unlimited time to get it right. They yeah. sent the pilot back four times. Two of times, they almost started from scratch. So when you have money to work at that level... And by the way, the budgets have only gone up. So whereas in most other shows, the budgets would have gone down. Right. So the fact that they have survived repeatedly, new heads of Fox, new heads of Disney, this year alone, there have been two regime changes at Disney. That's right. And the fact that you have 36 years of regime changes and CFOs looking at books and nobody said, you got to cut your budget. That's why it's as good as it is. That is a great answer and uh, great insight. A really great insight there. Um, Months just, of I, research. I expect no, I, I, but I expect a list. But actually, you did touch on something very interesting that I've noticed a lot. Uh, you know, talking about James Brooks, James L. Brooks, and his um, his vision for The Simpsons to continue and his dedication to it. You know, Sam Simon also, yeah. the late Sam Simon, is also a very key figure. But, you know, as you tell the stories of these toys, these TV shows, these properties, these everything, it, in my own opinion, in coming to Comic-Con for 30 years, talking to people and seeing the rise and the fall of different things, is it always comes down to one person with that vision, one person with a powerful vision. You know, it's funny... Many times I would agree with you, but I really think in this case it was three people. Mm -hmm. It was Sam, Graining, and uh, yeah. But I mean, it's the vision. But I'm, I'm just saying it is that personal, that person who says we have to do this. You know. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, you haven't seen the first episode. No, right? I haven't. No, that's why I'm. Yes. So, but I'm going to run home and watch it. To be honest. So <laughs> they repeat it often. Yeah. Um, but like. He willed into existence the show because they were renegotiating his feature deal. Right. Had they not been renegotiating the feature deal, there would have been no Simpsons. Because he had made four movies, each one made a zillion dollars. Right. They wanted him to make four more. 
And as they were getting to an impasse negotiating the deal, Groening said, or no, sorry, Brooks said, greenlight The Simpsons and I'll sign this contract. <laughs> That's how it got real. And what movies did he make afterwards? That's someone? the funny thing. The only one I can remember is Spanglish. Wow. But it was three, two of them lost money. Two of them barely got to profit. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, but that's often the way it goes, yeah. too. That Sign story that. happens yeah. so often. Yeah. Where a company greenlights something for other reasons, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that saves the company or helps get the company yeah. to the next level. It's almost when people try too hard, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, right. But also, and I agree with you, but I would say at the same time, like, nobody knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Nobody. The best. Here's the best example. Go on YouTube and watch the Mac world where Jobs introduces the iPod. Wow. Apple is on the verge of bankruptcy. He, it's 90 minutes. He conservatively spends 85 to 87 minutes talking about the Apple printer. In the last two to three minutes, he talks about the iPod. Wow. The printer didn't go into production. I, I didn't even remember that. No one does. Mm-hmm. And the iPod, which obviously is the great, great, great grandparents of the iPhone and the iPad and the Apple Watch, like, oh, it saved the company and I would argue changed the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, and he spent 1% of his time talking about it. Wow. That, Nobody knows. That's, that is absolutely true. Nobody knows. Well, that's a really great segue to ask you about your new venture. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you're, you're here in a booth full of really cool looking tchotchkes and toys and t-shirts and stuff. So you decided to make stuff. Yes. So tell us about your stuff. I gotta be honest with you, I've had a million people say what you just said, Mm -hmm. but no one said it as accurately as I believe is the case. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we just started making stuff. Um, So, yeah, I love stuff. If we're going to use that word, let's use that word. I love stuff. Mm-hmm. I like holding things. I like touching things. I'm also a big toy collector. So, like, why wouldn't we? I've literally, my entire career has been turning my hobbies into jobs. And I'm a big toy collector. Why wouldn't we make toys? And I knew that, I didn't go to business school. I don't know anything about this stuff. But I knew from other things that I'd done in my career that you can't just start a gigantic business unit without, like, right. infrastructure, for lack of a better word. Sure, absolutely. So we knew that if we wanted to make toys, we also needed to be able to distribute those toys. And to distribute anything, you need volume and you need experience. So all the stuff that you see here, I mean, almost every single thing here, except for the toys that made us stuff and RoboForce, these are licenses that we have for other people's intellectual property. My hope is, if you and I talk this day next year, the majority of this table will be covered with our stuff. Oh, your real stuff. Yeah. Your your IP. Hey, Rich, can you give me a max, please? 
So like this is our first line. These are coming in November. Roboforce. Robo He's holding up something called Max 89 from Roboforce, and it's a very important toy. That's right. That's I'm, no joke. I, yes, I will take a photo of yeah. it after we're done recording. Um, so, so, um, so Roboforce is your IP. Well, it's not my idea. Oh, okay. okay. So Roboforce was a toy in the 80s. Okay. A spectacular okay. failure. Oh. Uh, disaster. Bankrupted the, out of business the company that made it. Everything. And um, we bought the copyright about a year ago and completely changed it. Oh. So, I mean, the original, you can Google it, but the colors are the same, that sticker is the same. The original Roboforce was a monopod with a suction cup at the base, so it didn't even have legs. For all <laughs> stand purposes, it didn't have arms. Yeah, exactly. So we we started from scratch and we did it, but this brand and this logo, that's the real deal. Right. I mean, that's, right, 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 we, we thought that. Right, right, right. Okay, so, so this is, so next year we're going to see a lot more Roboforce well, stuff. Like I said, these are going to be on shelves in six weeks. Right. And then our second, third, and fourth lines are all in production right now. Right. So hopefully this day, next, which again, it's not to say we're not going to sell Madball's t-shirts. Right. But... Very, very Hopefully next year there'll be a lot more of these and not as much stuff like this. Right. You know, coming to Comic-Cons, you see many people who like stuff and who like to buy stuff. Um, what, uh, I, I, I said, do you come to Comic-Con often? I mean, I... This is my third time at New York Comic-Con and I've been to San Diego Comic-Con, I believe... 11 times. Okay. So you're, you're a veteran. Yeah. We, oh, we yeah. call that a veteran. All right. Um, obviously, the layoff of time without Comic-Cons, I mean, it was very hard for community, hard to, to see things, but, you, you know, stuff did well. I mean, people did, wanted did, to... Did better than ever. Right. Because they wanted yeah. to furnish their bunkers. Well, that you're right. But the other thing that happened was, which was really interesting, there was a lot of press about people who lost their jobs, right. as there should have been. Uh, meaning the press, not the people. Right, 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 right. Um, and there was a lot of press about people taking pay cuts. And that's horrible. It's horrible to lose your job. Horrible to take a pay cut. As far as I can tell, uh, that applied to less than 20% of the population of this country. That means 80% of this country was still getting paid the same, but wasn't going to Disneyland wasn't going to Walmart, wasn't going to Tiffany's, wasn't buying a new car, wasn't paying for gas. So all these people had so much money. And by August of 2020, when everybody realized they weren't going to die, when the vaccine was starting to come out, and their their bank accounts were the highest they'd ever been. Because they weren't spending money. Yeah, that's the, right. The people that make the most amount of money are deployed sailors. Mm -hmm. Because you're making a lot of money because you're deployed, but you can't spend it. Right. So it's the same phenomenon. That's spending like a drunken sailor. That's right. Yeah. Wow. But it was like 330 million Americans are making money. Well, maybe 290 million Americans are making money without spending it the way they used to. And starting, you know, every t we do another show called A Toy Store Near You that's for Amazon that's about toy, mom and pop toy stores all over the world. We heard the same thing from every single store. In March through June, they all thought they were going to go out of business. Right. Starting around August, 
they all started saying this is going to be the best year in the history of the store. Wow. That is a similar story to bookstores. Yeah. You know, it's really extraordinary. And obviously, um, you know, building on the gains that we've made over the course of the pandemic are, you know, for comics, that's that's the big thing, you know? Yeah. Like, we're not, you know, sales have fallen because, hey, we're sitting here talking at the con. We're not at home yeah. reading a book. But, um, yeah, so uh, so you think this is a good time with all that in mind? Is this a good time to launch a company? It's the best time that's ever existed. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Again, like I said a minute ago, like, I turn hobbies into jobs by the nature of the fact that they're hobbies. I'm an expert. Because it's not work. Right. So I know what's going on because I talk to these people all the time. I am one of these people. So I don't have to do market research. I don't have, like, I was here last year. There are more people at the food trucks today than were in this room last right. year. Right. So, like, I, so again, I don't have to Google or do, right. hire the McKinsey Corporation. Like, <laughs> I just know because I'm one of these people. Right. Like, it's we true. don't make refrigerators right. because I don't know anything about refrigerators. But I know about geek shit. Right. And that's all we do is geek shit. Yeah. Well, you've got some pretty good looking geek shit here, right? Very kind. So, uh, so this is the debut of your, your stuff here at this No, show? no, we've been doing panels. Oh. No, 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 I mean your, your merchandise line, you just. No, our, um, oh, okay. our, we started, I, you know what, our first panel was this, or no, pa not panel, ooh. I think our first booth was this year. Okay. I think you, um, I don't know, I don't It's a recent venture. Oh, it's very recent. recent. Okay. Yeah. All right. The earliest it would have been was, Rich, did we do booths last year or this year? No, anyway. Yeah, we, oh, okay. this is the first year. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Debuted in 22. Yeah. I think like this is our fifth booth ever. Nice. Well, it, it certainly, it looks great. We have people you. stopping by. Uh, Brian, it's great talking to you and learning about this. Everybody watch that Stimson show. I'm going to run home and watch it. Icons on Earth. Icons on Earth on Vice TV. 10 o'clock Wednesdays. All right. There you go. Right after Dynamite. All right. Thank you again, <laughs> Brian. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> this is Kate Simmons at New York Comic Con 2022. I'm here with David Mack and Artist Alley on Sunday. And can you tell me what projects you're bringing with you to the convention this year? So the big new project I'm working on right now is a creator-owned series uh, with Brian Bendis and myself coming down from Dark Horse Comics. It's called Cover. It's based and inspired by my overseas travels for the U.S. State Department. Aside from that, I'm doing a lot of Neil Gaiman uh, books, uh, Norse mythology covers, American Gods uh, covers, uh, the Norse mythology slipcases what I'm designing for Dark Horse right now. And uh, the Endless and Sandman characters for Neil Gaiman's prints from his website, Neverwhere.net, and covers for every publisher. So how has the year Comic-Con 2022 been compared to, say, 2021 or before the convention? A, a record-breaking year for me. Very positive. Good oh, it's great to hear. Do um, you have any other thoughts about the convention this year to share? I, I want to give a big shout-out to the people who ran it. They did a great job of making it really organized, really easy to get in and out of. And if there's anything you'd like to tell our listeners, what would it be? Gratitude. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for you have a in. great day. This is Kate Fitzsimmons at New York Comic Con 2022 on Sunday. And I'm here at Artist Alley with Franco from IA Comics. Can you tell us a little bit about what books you're bringing to the convention today? 
lots of uh, Oh Yeah Comics, because we have our own store that we sell the, the branded comics from. Uh, and then uh, my Dead Man book, uh, Dead Man Tell- Spooky Tales from DC Comics, just came out. It's been selling really well, uh, as well as uh, um, a bunch of other stuff we brought. All back issue stuff, Tiny Titans, Superman Family, Archimaniacs, a bunch of stuff. So, how, are, how have sales been this weekend? Sales, not bad. We, you know, we've done good, but we're primarily a, a kids' table, so today, being Sunday, was uh, the best day by far so far. We were busy slamming from beginning to end. So, how would you compare this year, just in general, uh, with, say, 2021 or before the pandemic? A lot better. Uh, a lot better. Uh, pandemic, we didn't go anywhere, but, you know, I mean, sales were okay. But we didn't go anywhere. Uh, getting back out to see people at conventions, we've done really well this year. And and to before the pandemic, like has it bounced back fully? Would you say or no? Or uh, I'd say almost there. Almost there. Uh, okay, yeah, cool. I don't I don't know if it's come back fully, but but people are anxious to get out and, and spend some money. So it's been real well. It's been doing real well. So do you have any thoughts about the convention that you like to share? Um, no, I'm just really tired at the end of it because we've been here for four days. Uh, it's been a great show, and uh, can't wait to come back. Thank you so much. And if you have one thing to sh- you could say to our listeners, what would it be? Anything you want. Um, buy my comic. Okay, thank you. Thanks. What's up? Hi, this is Kate Simmons from Publishers Weekly Comics World here at New York Comic Con 2022 with Tom King and Artist Alley on Sunday. So, um, can you tell me... A little bit about how your uh, New York Comic Con 2022 has been. How's it been compared to previous years? It was really nice. I think uh, I had a little more anxiety than usual. I'm finding out that I'm, uh, uh, after staying inside for three years, I'm getting used to talking to people again. So uh, I don't I don't think I'm quite there as much as I used to be. I'm trying to discover who I am now after this whole thing. So what books are you bringing with you to present at this show this year? Uh, I'm a writer. I write a bajillion comic books for DC Comics, and uh, yeah. I, I, I do Batman, Superman, yeah, Rorschach. But, but what I mean is, is there anything in particular you were highlighting this year? Uh, well, my my, my Jorge Fornes, who's my artist on Rorschach, and I have a new book we're launching uh, called Danger Street, which is like this new big book. Um, and so I was highlighting that. Also, two of my books, uh, Supergirl. And Human Target just got listed as the best graphic novels of the year by the New York Public Library. So uh, th- those books are just blowing up. So um, we're trying to get those out as many hands as we can because I, lo- I love them so much. Excellent. So um, how would you con- compare this to before the pandemic? I, I mean, it's, I've been doing New York Comic Con for a decade now. It didn't seem so different, you know, That's, except for a few masks here and there. Everything seemed just about the same. I wouldn't say there was much of a difference. It was very near Comic Con. Yeah. Just like I said, with a little extra anxiety of like, oh my god, there's people here and I have to talk to them. This isn't just me, but inside my computer for all of these early years. Besides that, it's always gone. So, if you could say anything to our listeners, what would it be? Anything you want? Uh, thank you. Thank you, dear listeners. I mean, uh, I don't know if you know me or, or know my comics, uh, but. Oh, yeah, pleasure to meet you. People say hi to me. Uh, but my comics, nobody buys them just because they see, they want to buy like a human target or something. Every single comic gets bought because somebody recommended it. That's the only way anyone buys my kind of work because it's so weird and off the cuff. So thank you because I wouldn't have food on the table for my kids without you. Thank you. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons from 
Productions at New York Comic Con 2022, and I'm here with Fred Van Lente. Hey, can you tell us uh, what books you're here with today? Well, uh, Ryan and I have our complete line of action presidents, our kick-started color action philosophers book, uh, comic book history of animation and comic book history of comics, and uh, he brought a couple of villain stuff. I brought my crime comic for Dynamite. Jennifer Blood, as well as my mystery novel, Tended Comedians, and stop me if it's going on for too long, but the last one is uh, a re-release of my comic experience of a book I did in 2003 called The Silencers with Steve Ellis. So, how has New York Comic Con 2022 been compared to, say, 2021 or before the pandemic? I would say that we did slightly better this year than yeah. last year. And about the level of pre-pandemic. I mean, I sold out of the aforementioned Tedded Comedians. We sold out of Comic Animation. We sold out of half of our acting presidents' uh, titles. The nice thing, of course, about tabling at New York Comic Con for us is we can actually bring stock home when we sell out. So selling out is something of a fluid concept. We don't ever have to if we don't want to. So, um, do you have any thoughts about the convention that you'd like to share? Uh, you know, I, overall it's super positive. I mean, it's very crowded, but that's like a good problem to have. Uh, I like the fact they gave us Artist Alley bathrooms, which is very useful. It reduces some of the, one of the major stresses. Uh, very accommodating to all. Published comic called My Bullshit. Uh, it's like an old school one man anthology. My voice is shot. I do a lot of stuff in the So, how has New York Comic Con 2022 been for you? Do you have any thoughts on it? Um, it's very much in line with what Fred said. It's, uh, you know, it's crazy. It's a, it's a convention we would never miss. Uh, it's our hometown con. We enjoy it being here. It's always very exciting. Um, it is a bit of an endurance. <laughs> it's an endurance challenge to get through it because of the crowd and because of the length of the show. And if you had one thing that you could tell our listeners, what would it be? Anything you want. I, I know. I, I really have nothing. I can't remember anything. Okay, so that's fine. Oh, you can I run it on empty. Uh, well, get the dress. All right, thank you.